Hi, I'm Simon Cox, striker, and I've played for Reading, West Brom, Nottingham Forest. Simon, thank you for joining us on the second tier today. Let's have a look back on your career. It's been an eventful one with loads of ups and downs. And we'll start off at the very beginning. You came through the Reading Academy, but as you were coming through, that's when Reading were peak Reading, weren't they, in the Premier League? And you didn't get much of a look in at the time. Do you think it's because they were doing so well or do you reckon you should have had a look in? (laughs) Uh, Well, Always back in my ability, I always think I should have had a look in. But uh, when you've got the likes of Kevin Doyle, Shane Long, uh, Dave Kitson, Lee Rolita, all scoring goals, all performing well, it's very, very hard to get a, get a look in. So I had to basically wait my time for, for the cup games. But even then I was on the bench and coming on for, for sort of 10, 15, 20 minutes at the end. So it was very, very hard to get a look in. Yeah. Uh, as you say, plenty of talent ahead of you. And that meant you had to go out on loan a couple of times. One of them was at Brentford and you broke your leg when you were just 19. Um, when you're a player and you suffer such a serious injury at such a young age, what was that like at the time? Yeah, it was it was tough because I, I just felt that I was uh, getting started um, and I, I broke my leg, London Derby away at Millwall. Um, and it was at a time where I thought, you know, like I said, I thought I was getting started in my career and I was doing okay. I was performing well in the game. I remember it. Um, you know, I had a tackle from behind and, um, and I carried on, I carried on in the game, but you know, something wasn't right. So I had to obviously come off, then went for the x-rays and stuff and then realized what, uh, the extent of the injury that I'd done. Um, but you have to get yourself in a, a mindset that it's going to be a setback. It's going to be six to eight weeks, 10 weeks if, you, if your rehab doesn't go as planned. Um, and then you just try and come back as quick as you can because I was in that flow of, of football. You say you carried on with a broken leg. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, I came off and I, I thought I'd just, I, you know, just sort of like, I don't know, just a kick and it was something, I knew something wasn't right, but I thought maybe I'm able to run it off and I carried on for another sort of five, six minutes or so and then uh, flew into a tackle and then it never went away. So I was like, oh, I'll have to call this one a day. It's not bad going. I think I'd just be instantly <laughs> calling it a day as soon as uh, I felt that. Um, but you left ready to go to Swindon and you quite frankly became a goal machine there, didn't you? In your last season, you scored 29 goals in League One. What was it about the club that made you play so well? Um, it was it was the players around me. It was uh, you know we had two wingers, we had two centre forwards, we had uh, a team that played the, the way that I wanted it to play, uh, crosses into the box. I had a, a strike partner who was a you know the taller one of the two of us who took all the bumps and bruises and the kicks and everything else, and um, and I was the one who sort of ran in behind and. And was able to get the the chances. You you speak to a lot of strikers, and they normally have one or two seasons where they have that purple patch where everything they hit 
just goes in. And and that was my season, really. It was, um, I got to a point where I felt invincible in front of goal. Um, and, and and like I say, it was it was all based on the, the team around me that I had who were supplying me with ammunition. Yeah, because you didn't really, and I mean this with no disrespect, you didn't really score as many goals elsewhere, the likes of West Brom, Forest and Reading. Was it just down to the Volans, basically because you were the man who was there to finish off those chances? Possibly, but um, but I went to I went to other clubs being that same man. Um, you know, when when West Brom came down to the from the Premier League to the Championship, I was brought in to do the exact same job. Um, but I always feel that I went from Reading um, to a sort of lower league club where I was seen as the best player at, at the club. So that it was all, all the pressure was heaped on my shoulders. When when you go from say Swindon to to West Brom, you're just another player in a pool of players who are very very good, um, and the ones who who come out of that pool are the best players and uh, and I had to go there and you have to change your game you have to adapt your game because um, because it's a completely different level to what I was playing different you know different way of playing from from the team and the manager um, it just it just happens that way mm. well you went to West Brom as you say actually before we move on why West Brom because you had quite a bit of interest from other clubs didn't you yeah uh, very strange actually um of the three clubs I had that were seriously interested in me, none of them had managers um, at, at the time anyway. So West Brom, Celtic and, and Newcastle. Newcastle Newcastle and West Brom obviously got relegated from the Premier League. Um, uh, Alan Shearer was a manager in Newcastle at the time. Obviously, he didn't take over. Um, West Brom had Tony Mowbray, who in turn went to Celtic. So Celtic were without a manager at the time when they were interested. So there was a, obviously a crossover there. Um, and then West Brom were basically the first ones to the pump um, because Newcastle and Celtic hadn't appointed their managers at the time. So, uh, but <clears throat> listen, it was a team that, like I say, just come down from the Premier League who wanted to go back up at the first first return. Um, so it was, a, it was a good decision, I thought. Yeah, and they did go up straight away, didn't they? Um, and as you said, it was a very talented team, wasn't it? It's one of my favourite um, teams that I've ever been in the Championship. You've got, you know, prime Chris Brunt, James Morrison, Graham Dorrance. Everyone forgets about him, but it was a bloody good team, wasn't it? It was a good team. Uh, I was actually watching one of Graham Dorrance's goals earlier in the dressing room over here because he's now with me over here. Um okay. So uh, yeah, it was a, it was a Premier League goal, but it was a, it, it was a goal nonetheless. And, uh, and I was just playing it, and all you could hear was him just giggling to himself in the corner because like, you could hear the commentary. Um, but now it was a really really good team, um, a team that we had only lost I think two or three from the Premier League squad. Paul Robinson and Jonathan Green I think left. One went to Watford, one went to Fulham I think. Um, we had Scott Carson, Jonas Olsen at the back. Um, you know, every Robert Corran still still in there. Um, listen, it was a team littered with Premier League quality, um, and and I had to to sort of go in and and look at myself and like I say adapt um, because I couldn't be the same player at Swindon that I was at I, I could be at West Brom. Um, two completely different styles of play, two completely different 
attitudes at the at the clubs, um, and you have to adapt. And that, and that was what, what I had to do. Yeah, and there are quite a few decent strikers there at the time as well. So when you came in, were you like, crikey, I've got a job in my hands here, getting into this side? Yeah, absolutely. So <clears throat> one of the things um, that sort of sold me on West Brom was I watched their, one of their games before I knew they were seriously interested. They played um, an FA Cup game against Bristol Rovers and they won 5-1 or something like that. Ishmael, Ishmael Miller scored scored three. Mm. And uh, and I looked at Big Ish, and I said, and I looked at myself. I thought, this is a guy I can play with. Mm. Similar, similar sort of thing. Like the bigger of the two, the more powerful one of the two of us. Um, but just, <clears throat> just unfortunately, he did his he did his cruciate um, towards the end of the Premier League season. So he was injured when I came in. Then he did it again during his rehab, and then he just never really came back and and got himself in. But then. We had Luke Moore. Chris Wood was a, a young up-and-coming striker at the time as well. We had Roman Bedner, who had obviously come back from a band as well. So it was, it was, it was a squad that had, had good, good quality in it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Di Matteo, Roberto Di Matteo was the manager at the time. Were you a fan of his? I was at the start. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, like he, he came in, obviously, listen, he was a, Top top players um, and had a really really good career. Um, he was a young manager at the time. Um, obviously, only managed MK Dons, and I think he was only there for a year or eighteen months. Uh, MK Dons, and he got the West Brom job. Um, but again, he was like a young up and coming manager, um, but just sort of let the dressing room dictate what was going on. Like you said, some of the players we've mentioned already before basically run the dressing room um, and he didn't really have a lot to do, I'll be honest. Okay. So why were you a fan of his at the start and then not towards the end of his reign? I'm not saying I wasn't a fan towards, uh, to, uh, I wasn't a fan of his towards the end. I think we just, when we got promoted to the Premier League, I think he just, he just became a little bit out of his depth being a young manager, um, just purely and simply on the basis that when you're the one of the best teams in the championship and you get promoted to then being, the mindset changes to being, you know, one of the teams that is fighting relegation and you still stick with the same tactics, it's a little bit different to um, to the championship. So it's uh, So when you get promoted to the Premier League, your mindset has to change and you have to play a different system maybe or a different... Uh, philosophy of playing and and he didn't really have that yeah, fair enough uh, back to you then what was it like being <clears throat> sold by reading to going up automatically with West Brom to the premier league in just the space of two years because that's quite that's quite a difference isn't it yeah um it was it was interesting i think it was it was a point to be you know proven really uh reading obviously had their sell-on clause so they they knew that there was a player in there they just just knew that I wasn't able to play for Reading um, because of the people that we've mentioned before. Um, but when you get sort of that move to to West Brom and then you go and win or come second in the championship to get promoted to the Premier League, it's sort of like, a, oh, well, I proved, I proved you wrong. I, I was good enough. All I needed was that chance. Hmm. 
well, you got to the Premier League, had a few sporadic appearances, didn't you? You only managed one goal in two seasons, but it wasn't a bad goal, was it? A 30-yard screamer, yeah, yeah. White Hart Lane. <laughs> uh, talk us through that. How was it? Uh, well, it, it was uh, because it's my one and only and it wasn't a bad one. It means the world to me. Um, <laughs> uh, it was, I think it was around about this time of the year as well. Uh, it's, it's April time. Um, it was it was such a surreal, like all, all of my appearances in the Premier League are all surreal to me because, again, it was it's one thing getting to the championship and playing and, and winning that. But then when you get to the Premier League and you sort of make your appearances and you end up scoring your goal, again, I wish I would have been able to play a lot more um, so I could showcase. But then again, it, it comes down to get, getting that chance and, and, and taking it really. Um, but the goal, yeah, I mean, it, it, like I say, it means the world to me, the sort of cutting and the curl on it. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's one of those goals that I'll always be remembered for and uh, and I'll keep in my highlight reel. Well, it's definitely what's keeping your highlight reel. It's, it's an unreal <laughs> goal. Uh, Di Matteo was sacked halfway through that first Premier League season and Roy Hodgson came in. Um, did you enjoy working with Roy? I did, yeah. And, and by all accounts, he liked working with me. Um, I probably would have stayed a little bit longer if he didn't get the England job. Mm. Um so, because I think I played all or majority of my performances under Roy. Um, so I, lo- I loved it. I thought he was um, he was the nicest guy in the world. He'd give everybody their five minutes a day. Um, he's open. He was honest. Tactically very good. As you can see, he's been in the Premier League for a number of years with different clubs. Um, he got us to a ninth, eighth finish. Yeah. In the Premier League, you know, just just missing out in Europe, like that's that's an unbelievable achieve, achievement for a West Bromwich Albion team. So I loved every minute of it. It was just a shame that you know we were only together for for a short period of time. Yeah, it was just a short period because you went to Forest in July 2012, which was an interesting time to join yeah. the club. Steve Cottrell was manager at the time, and am I right in saying he got sacked a few days after you joined? Yeah, I think Sean O'Driscoll was the manager at the time. Then, um, then Steve Cot or Steve Cottrell, then Sean O'Driscoll was one or the other. I think I sat because I sat down with Sean O'Driscoll. Right. Okay. Because um, on the when I was doing my research for this, it said you signed <clears throat> on like the eighth of July, and then Steve Cottrell was sacked on like the twelfth of July. So I wasn't sure right. if that was one hundred percent correct or not. But yeah. when when you signed, did, who which manager were you talking to? I was talking to Sean O'Driscoll. Right, okay. Um, which which was strange um, because obviously there'd been a, a big sort of merry-go-round in of obviously the takeover managers had sort of come and gone through that summer period. Um, and I signed, uh, I went to the training ground. I met the owner at the time. Um, he sort of set out their, their plan for what the club was going to be looking like uh, for that season and the, and the season's coming. Um, it was just a, it was just a bit of a strange time at the club, obviously one to be excited about because as you can see, it was a <clears throat> um, Middle Eastern owner who took over and you're thinking all of a sudden millions are coming into the club and, and all these 
top, top players are going to be coming in, top managers, but then all of a sudden one owner goes out the door, one manager goes out the door, new owners come in, who's his cousin. Uh, it was all a little bit of a mess, to be honest. Yeah, it was a bit of a mess there. And it was also a bit of a mess with the manager situation because in the space yeah. of seven months, they had Steve Cottrell, Sean O'Driscoll, Alex McLeish, and then Billy Davis. So for you as a player, when you've got <laughs> a different manager every few months, that must be a bit uh, bit confusing. Yeah, it, and again, it comes down to you know knowing the manager who's coming in and, and hoping that they like you and you get on with them and, and all of that sort of stuff. So it... it it, it can be unsettling, but ultimately, as players, you, you have to just get on with it. It's your job at the end of the day. But, I mean, it, it doesn't help that you replace managers after, I mean, Alex McLeish, I think, was there four weeks, five weeks, if that, seven games, I think it was. Mm. You know, so that's not that's not great for any, any club. That's not great for any set of players. Um, so you have to have stability in that, in that sense, but... As you can see throughout Forest's last, I don't know, three or four or five years, it's been littered with owners, it's been littered with managers, it's been littered with players in and out the door, and it, it doesn't help. No. When you get to that seventh manager, and you've just gone through four managers in the space of a few months, and you consider that you are playing in the Premier League, as you quite rightly said, finished in the top half with West Brom literally less than a year before... Were you kind of regretting moving to Forest? Well, I didn't really have a choice uh, about leaving West Brom in all honesty um, because Steve Clark had come in um, and he told me that they were signing uh, Romelu Lukaku on loan from Chelsea. Um, so we had Romelu, we had Marc-Antoine Fortune, Shane Long, Peter Odinwingi, then there was going to be me. So it was five of us and, and Steve was open to me and he said, look, you know, it's going to be very, very hard for you. Um, so go out and find a club and, and go and play. Um, and I had Forrest and, and Blackburn, who were the two clubs interested in me at the time. Um, and I decided to go to Forrest. It was down the road. I could live in Birmingham at the time. Um, but it ultimately means that you want stability in your football club. And, and because when you don't get that, it is very, very unsettling. Yeah, Lukaku's not a bad player to be replaced by, is it? No, not much. Let's talk about one of the goals you scored for Forest. One of the best goals I've ever seen in the Championship and one of the most unique I've ever seen as well. 50-yard pass from Lewis <laughs> McGugan. Most players will let it fly over them so they can run onto it. Not Simon Cox. Pulls off its unbelievable first touch before it bounces. You lob it over Jack Butland. Honestly, anyone who's listening, stop what you're doing right now and search Simon Cox against Birmingham and YouTube. It is one of the most stunning goals you'll ever see. And the best bit is, after you score, you celebrate by celebrate by getting the ball out of the goal as if to say, yeah, it's fine. I do that all the time. <laughs> Tell us about that goal. Uh, uh, we ju- i just come back off of uh, international duty with Ireland and, uh, and I came off injured in that game. We played, uh, I think we played Oman or someone in... Uh, in London and, and I came back up. I was on crutches after the game and went back to Forest and um, didn't think I was going to make the game. I was I was like really, really pushing. But because I came back on like the Thursday, I wasn't going to start the game. And we 
you know, we were down, I think, down 2 0 or 2 1 um, in the game uh, uh, against Birmingham. And it was just one of those, it, it came over my shoulder and I was like, I think I'm there. I think I can get there. Mm. So I sort of just lit, like hung out a leg. And then uh, it's probably because of the strapping I had on my foot. It just softened the touch. And then when it popped up, and I think it makes it so much better who the goalkeeper is as well, obviously. Yeah. Future England international, obviously. Gone on to do really well for himself. Um, Jack Butler and Ru- like rushes out and you just it just lobs it over over him and and you know it was one of those I think I think that got us back to either two two or or maybe got us back in the game at two one so I was thinking get the ball back on the halfway line let's go get it back let's go get another one quickly um, you kind of want to score those goals in the ninety third minute to win the game so you can jump in the crowd and you can like have your shirt ripped off and all that sort of stuff <laughs> and full on like wrapping it around your shoulders and. Um, but yeah, that that one was. Uh, I think that's probably the the goal that is most recognisable for for most people when they they sort of hear my name. Yeah, so it's all down to the strapping on your foot. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you're putting that goal above the Spurs goal, are you? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that's the the best goal I've scored in my career. Fair play. What was it like working with Billy Davis? Because he was quite an outspoken manager wasn't he did you enjoy playing under him I thought he was class mate I thought he was really really good I thought the most paranoid man in the world um, <laughs> but, but like the but a lovely guy as well um, you know he would he would train you hard but he'd also dangle the carrot out in front of you as well if you did train hard you got you know this or you got that little little carrot so it was always good and and the staff that he had with him, which like we did, we trained, we trained hard. And um, the thing is, is I think his paranoia sort of works against him a little bit because as soon as you lose a game, everyone he feels like everyone's talking about him, and that's probably not the case. And um, we just, when we missed out the last day of the season, we we got beat against Leicester. It was like the it was probably like the worst thing that could have happened to us because we had a good team at that stage as well and we, we probably should have made it into the playoffs. So we just, I think we drew 2-2 in the end and we needed to win. Hmm. See, he's, he's, re- he's remembered as quite a character, isn't he, and quite outspoken, but he was a good manager, wasn't he? All, every team that he seems to have been part of, um, apart from that Derby Premier League season, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> every team has done well under him as a manager. Yeah, I think players really like playing for him, though. That's the thing, because he makes you feel like a massive part of the team, regardless whether you're a star or someone from the bench, or even if you're one of the boys in the stands, he still makes you feel a part of it, which is, I think, great man management at the end of the day. Because um, the worst thing in the world, if you're the guy in the stands and you don't feel a part of it, you can 100% go the other way. Um, whereas if you still feel a part of it because he, fit, he makes you feel that, a big part of, of what he's doing because he, he'll need you. You know, you know, you might, now if it was me, I might, I might go down injured one day and, and all of a sudden the guy in the stands is now a starter for the next week. And, and if you've sort of lost your head uh, because you're in the stands one week and he hasn't spoken to, he hasn't made you feel a part of it. You're probably not going to play your best stuff the following week. Whereas if he makes you feel a part of it and that situation occurs, 
then uh, then I think you'll uh, you'll start playing well and and then it's stranger things have happened. You know, you go from being in the stands to being a starter, and and then all of a sudden you get a new contract and you're and you're on your way. But that's all down to his his man management skills and uh, and and like I say, he was a he was enjoyable to play under. Mm. Well, it was during your time at Forest that you were playing for Ireland. Uh, went to Euro 2012 as well. How was that? Brilliant. Really, really good. Um, probably the best moment of my career, um, without any shadow of a doubt, because not not many people get to go to a, to a tournament um, as a player, let alone as a fan. Oh, sorry, as a fan, let alone as a player. Um so I think it was more the the build up to the games that that sort of took me by surprise and um, getting there was was incredible. But you know, three days before you'd see this the hotel start to fill with people. Then two days, one day before, and it all of a sudden the the lobby, the bar, the the bars around the hotel were all littered with green jerseys and. And Irish supporters and your family and that have flown in. Uh, but then the day of the game, it's like nothing you've ever witnessed before. It's incredible. Mm. Um, and just to just to be a part of that, I thought was was a massive achievement for myself. And um, albeit results weren't great, um, but when you look at the group that we had, I, it was very hard to sort of come out of that. I thought, but not that we didn't try, obviously, but it was. Um, it was a it was a group of death in in all honesty. Yeah, Giovanni Trapattoni, were you a fan? Um, yes, yes and no. Obviously, like you you look at um you look at what he done for his uh for like the Bayern teams and stuff that he's done, and obviously his famous rant on uh, on the Bayern team in the media it it shows the passion that he has, but. I think the one thing that obviously let him down was his English. Um, it, he, he couldn't speak great English at all. And um, and I would have loved to have, have heard him speak English. Or if he learned English, it would have been great to hear that passion come out um, because that would have just resonated throughout the whole nation, really. Um, and we would have, uh, well, we probably would have gone on to do better than... Uh, after that campaign, we probably would have gone on again and, and done something special again. But as soon as you fall flat in the in the Euros and and then he gets replaced, it's uh, it's it's very easy to see why. Just purely and simply, you know, not not because of his English, but I think it was just a time for a change as well. Yeah, here's a question for you. Obviously, for anyone who's listening, if you haven't guessed by Simon's accent, he's not from Ireland. Um, he's from Reading. Is, it, <laughs> is there any friction between the non-Irish-born players and those who are, you know, full-blooded Irish? Sometimes. Okay. Sometimes. Um, yeah, I mean, there was probably probably a couple of times where you, you, I, well, I felt that they didn't really take to me, whether that was me and my personality or, or whether that was because I was born in England. Um, but I remember, I remember one day um, I was sat with uh, Richard Dunn um, and he's Irish legend uh, and, yeah. and right. So, um, and he's bought, uh, he's married to a, an English girl. His, his kids are obviously half Irish, half English. And I remember him coming up to me one day and he said, listen, if anybody ever give you any 
rubbish about not being born in Ireland. He said, tell him to come and see me. Um, and that, that sat, sat really well with me. And that, and that gave me the, the lift that I think I needed really just to feel a part of, of that team. Did you get any trouble from Irish players? <laughs> nah, nah, not in the end. <laughs> I told him to go see Danny and then uh, that was it. (laughs) I tell you what, there's nothing I love more than a classic football shirt. I've got loads of them. A Juventus shirt, Marseille shirt, even an Antalya Sport shirt. One of the reasons I've got so many is because I can get them for a great price from ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk. They've got shirts for teams from all over the globe, and that, of course, includes championship clubs. So if you wanted a classic Wednesday shirt, Reading shirt or Barnsley shirt, whoever you support, they'll have something for your club. It's not just shirts either. They've also got tracksuits, baseball caps, socks, so much stuff. Have a look for yourself. Go to ClassicFootballShirts.co.uk right now. Well, you left Forest in 2014 to go back to Reading. Why did you leave Forest? Um, Stuart Pearce came into Forest. Um, he he, came, he was in a really strange situation. He um, he was still England under 21 manager at the time when he took over at Forest, and then um, uh, he came to watch a few of the last five or six games at Forest, and, and then took over pre-season as the manager. Um, and I sat down with him at the end of. Well, coming towards the end of the pre-season and he, we were about to play West Brom, funny enough, in a pre-season friendly and he pulled me in and he said, uh, I want you to go in um, in the make-weight part of uh, the Mikhail Antonio deal um, to from Sheffield Wednesday to Forest mm. and you go the other way and I said, no. I said, because if sometimes in those sort of deals, the player who wants, so the club who wants the player, so Forest wanted Antonio it's not, it probably doesn't mean that Sheffield Wednesday want me. Yeah. So you can end up finding yourself between a rock and a hard place if I was end up going to Sheffield Wednesday. So I said to him, no, I said, if I'm going to leave this football club, I'm going to go to a club where they want me and, and I want to go to. Um, so a, as it is, you, you phone your agent after the uh, after the chat and, and he said, okay, give me, give me a few hours, give me the weekend. Um, and he said, what do you think about going back to Reading? And I was, obviously, my missus is from Reading as well. So we were like, listen, back home, friends, family, all of that sort of stuff. And it was uh, it was pretty easy in the end to make that decision. Mm. Well, the Reading team is a bit different compared to the one when you <laughs> left. Um, is that a nervous laugh there? Yeah. And uh, it was, uh, it, yeah, you, you're just correcting what you said. It was very, very different, yeah. Yeah. The first season back, you finished 19th in the championship. That was success. <laughs> Bloody hell. Well, well, why was that success? What was wrong with the club at that point? It's, I think it seems to be a, a trend wherever I go. The the owner at Reading um, at the time was the, the Russian guy uh, in the Premier League and then they got relegated. Um, and then the, the Russian guy basically pulled all his money out and said, like, I'm not doing this anymore. Couldn't, didn't want to pay the bills and stuff like that. So... Um, the old chairman, John Madeski, had to take over, but, you know, he's a wealthy man, but doesn't have the sort of money that needs need to run a football club these days. Um, 
So, and we had to sell the likes of Adam LaFondra. We had to sell Sean Morrison. We had to sell Alex McCarthy. Um, we still had people like Pavel Pogrebniak still on the books. He was on some serious, serious wages. Um, and then we had like people like Royston Drenter, who was, who was there, who we obviously had to get rid of as well. Serious, serious wages. So we had to get rid of all these players uh, on, on big money. Um, and Pavel was the only one who stayed. Um, but I think that was purely and simply couldn't afford to get him out really. Um, and then, um, and we had to deal with the fallout of that, which was basically play the under 23s, the, the, you know, the, the lads who was basically what I was like the, the years and years before. So the lads who, who hadn't played a first team game, the lads who had, only been used to under 23s football, reserve team football. Um, and we just had to get on with it uh, as best we could. So, but we did okay, mate. I'll be honest. We, we started off okay. Because as you know, like young kids, they're full of, full of energy. That sort of got us through the first few weeks, few months. Um, but then all of a sudden, when you start playing Saturday, Tuesday, and they're not used to it and, and that sort of stuff, that's when you start being found out a little bit. Yeah. What did you make of your own own performances across that second spell? Because I think, you <clears throat> did you go something like 16 months without scoring? So what was the reason that you were yeah, struggling? So that was, yeah, that was the second year. So my when I first went there, um, I started started the season really well. I think I still ended up top goal scorer first season nine or ten, I think it was. And as I say, it was a it was a struggle, but it was it wasn't too bad. Um but then it was it was at the stage when um when Steve Clark came into Reading um is when I stopped playing basically. Um I was injured in the preseason. The boy we'd just been taken over by the the Thai owners, uh, the boys were all on their way over to Thailand for pre-season. I stayed behind just because otherwise I'd lose too many days of non-training. Um, so I stayed back, thought I was doing the right thing um, in doubles, triple sessions every day to get myself to the level where they were. The boys came back, um, didn't start the season, played in a you know couple of like cup games and stuff. Um, hadn't scored a goal. Then at the last last few days of the transfer window, uh, of the loan window, I think I went on loan to Bristol City. Um, <clears throat> again, it was a similar thing. Sat on the bench, didn't play, came back uh, in January when Steve Clark got the sack. Um, Brian McDermott then took over. Um, somebody who knows me, somebody who uh, has, has taught, uh, like I've been a player of his and, and he's been my coach for a number of years in the youth team and the reserve teams. Um, and I played, I think it was like 12 out of the last 15 games um, and ended up scoring a goal uh, on one of my last appearances away at Middlesbrough. Um, and it, it just went, it went on from, from the day that sort of, I didn't go on the preseason tour all the way through to um, to that time where I scored against Middlesbrough. We just everything just went wrong. Nothing went right. Couldn't find myself a place anywhere. Um, and then that was that was it. Really, as soon as 
as soon as that season finished, I was uh, I was I was done really. Yeah. Why Why was everything going wrong at that point? I, I don't know. I think again. I think you know Steve had his the players that he wanted to play. He 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 turned around some of the times. I was being left out for for young players um, without him even talking to me, without him even giving me the time of day. And as I said about Billy Davis and the good man management, I feel that like that was the the poor man management side of things. Um, not that I felt entitled to have that chat, but I think when you've you've gone around sort of up, up and down the Premier League and obviously been to international level, I think just a little bit of respect level. I think there was. There needed to be that um, with Steve, and and I never really got it, and that was uh, that was an issue for me. Um, and and then the personality thing, sort of, um, you know, I'm obviously not his type of character that he wants, which is fine. That's not a problem. But ultimately, you have to be big enough and brave enough in in the manager's seat that you have to be able to tell players these things, um, whether they like it or not. You're the manager what you say goes. Um, and then I went to Bristol City and and I don't know, I think things things just didn't sit well with me there. I wasn't sure whether I was there to be punished or whether I was there to to play or not. Um, I, I would, it just wasn't really something that sat well with me, although I really, really enjoyed my time there. You know, the group of players that they had, the camaraderie that they have in that dressing room or had in that dressing room at the time because they went from League One Championship. Um, it was it was such a such a pleasure to be a part of that um, before heading back to Reading and, and being under somebody that was familiar to me. Okay. Well, you left Reading to go to Southend where you had a fantastic few years, didn't you? You found your goal scoring yeah. touch again, scoring 41 goals in three seasons. What changed for you in that time? Um, I think, well, when you, when you go from, when you go from not playing, um, and, and realizing that, you know, your career could be really close to the end, um, you sort of wake up a little bit. Um, and I went to South End and tried to revive my career. Um, went there, spoke with Phil Brown, um, Again, probably felt like the the main man again. Um, just just things started to click again. I had, I actually had a really rude awakening again at South End. There was a time where um, I wasn't playing. Maybe I got a little bit too big for my boots a little bit when I was there, and and had a little bit of a bust up with the the assistant manager at the time. After one game, told me I was rubbish, um, which didn't sit well with me, obviously, but. It was probably something that I needed to hear and um, ultimately buck up your ideas. Otherwise, we're going to go down and you're going to be in League Two as quick as you were from League One to the Premier League. It's, it was simple as that. So if, if we were going to do well that year, it was going to come from from me scoring goals. So I had to, again, sit for a few games. But then as soon as I sort of found my goal scoring touch, it kind of never left me, which was nice. Yeah. Well, the, the last season at South End wasn't as good. Don't think that was any through any fault of your own though, because the last two seasons at South End seem to have been a bit of a mess. What was going on in your last season at the club? Because I remember that being a particular mess. 
Um, oh, uh, so we stayed up on the last day of the season, the season before. Yeah. Um, Sunderland, euphoria, honestly, never felt anything like it. Even coming second in the championship, never felt anything like staying up on the last day. Um, so that was that was incredible. And we just expected that roller coaster to carry on. Um, we expected Kevin Bond, who was the manager at the time, to be appointed that day, the next day, you know, the, the following week or whatever. Um, it went on and on and on throughout the summer. Um, and then it was only until we got to a week before pre-season that he got appointed. Mm. Um, so then we couldn't, <clears throat> I don't think we signed anybody until a couple of weeks into pre-season. I don't think we, we sort of settled on anything. We, we went away for pre or the boys went down to um, went down to to Bournemouth or down to Pool or somewhere like that for pre season. Um, I was I was injured at the time, so I didn't go. Um, and then it was, you know, we never really got we never really got going. We were like we were late to everything in terms of you know getting getting going. Um, and we were that that team that everybody really enjoyed playing against. We then all of a sudden he gets to sack Kevin Bond. Then uh, Gary Waddock takes over for a little bit, who was very good. Um, he got us working really hard. We we started we started putting good performances together, making a couple of draws, and we got a win here and there. And uh, we felt like we were on the uh, on the pathway to something. Um, but then there was still the uncertainty because Henrik Larsson was sort of in, a, in amongst the, the bookies for whether he was going to be the new manager and he was in the stands for the MK Dons game, which we won. And I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, it was one of it. Like, we were like, oh, is he going to be appointed? Is he not? If he's at the game, surely he's, you know, it was one of those. And then at the 11th hour, he decides he doesn't want it. Um, so then it's like, oh, we're back to the drawing board. Then it was... Sol Campbell, who came in. Um, so we were all a little bit like dishevelled on the basis that we didn't know who we were going to get. Then all of a sudden we get Sol Campbell in and he brings in Herman Aridison, he brings in Andy Cole, he brings in a fitness guy who was at Arsenal and and Sol's, Sol's way of playing is not the way that you need to be playing when you're... 10, 12 points adrift at the bottom of the table. Mm. You can't be trying to play out from the back when teams are looking at you thinking you're vulnerable here. Um, you need to be getting it up the other end of the field. You need to be getting second balls. You need to be working harder than every other team. But we were, you know, we were trying to do things and and he, he just wasn't, it just wasn't what we needed. So it was, it, it sort of went from bad to worse. And, and that was, that was a big issue. I thought Sol Campbell did all right in his in his spell there. That that might just be me from looking from the outside in. But were you not particularly a fan of his? Nah, not a fan, mate. No, not at all. He, it, it just wasn't right, mate. It really wasn't. And and he, yeah. He, but you look at his time at Macclesfield. Um, I know, I know, he kept him up, but. Just, just things like I mean, I was talking to one of my mates the other day who's, li who's listening to his podcast on um, 
one of the other channels and, and it was like, oh, he has all these um, these non-negotiables about being late and things like that. And he was late for things and you're just looking at it going, don't, don't do that. Like you, you're pulling the wool over people's eyes and sort of thing and that's not right. Um, like the players know when when managers are lying to them, and that's the thing, and and uh, and and we sort of quickly saw through through that. Well, okay. Uh, well, let's go to present day. You're now playing in Australia at the moment for Western Sydney Wanderers. How's that going? Sorry, I've just asked you during the uh, spring sorry. water. Uh, yeah, yeah, really good, mate. Really, really, really enjoying it here, actually. Um, so you go from the south end, the, the sort of the doom and gloom of the way things were going there. And, um, and then all of a sudden I got an opportunity to come here to Sydney. Um, and it's been amazing. I mean, let alone the, the weather and, you know, the beaches and all that sort of stuff. Football has been really good. Been really, really surprised with it. Um, my club, Western Sydney Wanderers of, uh, they're sort of like the, one of the newest clubs out here. Um, and everything's shiny brand new, which is nice. Mm. Um, stadiums, 30,000 seat capacity stadium. Training ground's got nine, ten pitches with an artificial um, mini stadium on it. Um, oh, mate, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing. This this place is uh, it's really, really good. I, I, I think I fell in love with football again from the Sol Campbell era to coming back over here. It was uh, really, really good. Yeah. And you haven't had much of a pandemic over there either, have you? Hey, can't complain with that. Um, so no, it's. Uh, I think the sun's kept it away from us, which is quite nice. Yeah, not bad for you. <laughs> what's the stand? <laughs> what's the standard like in Australia? How how would you compare it to over here? See, it's probably the the biggest question or the, the most question I get asked um, by everybody who I talk to about this. Um, and I always say it's it's a mixture between sort of middle to, to bottom end championship to high end league one. Okay. Purely and simply on the basis that everybody over here, they want to play the right way. They want to play out from the back. They want to pass the ball. They want to try and connect between the lines. Um, but, and and one thing that we don't have over here is we don't have six foot seven centre forwards where the ball goes from back to front, crash bang wallop and everyone's getting whacked up from behind. So we don't have any of that. So that's nice for me, who's not six foot four, who's getting whacked in the back of the head every week. Um, so that's good. Um, but the one thing that we have to to sort of um, battle against is the humidity and the sun. Um, although we don't play in the, um, in the daytime, we play in the evenings because it's too hot. Um, it's still very, very humid. 7.30, half five, 7.30, they're the sort of two game times that we sort of have over here. Um, but honestly, it's, it's hot, mate. It's still hot at that time. Um, but you don't train at those times. You train at 10 o'clock in the morning and it peak hours are sort of 11, 12, 1, when you're still running around and, and you're getting a, still getting a tan, but uh, you're, getting, so you're getting hot. Um, but, mate, it's, it's a good standard, mate. Very, very good standard. And I would recommend it to anybody who, uh, who ever thought that, if there was a chance of coming to Australia, come and come and enjoy it. Well, are you planning on coming back to England to play at any point, or do you think you're going to retire <laughs> over in Australia? 
No, I think uh, I've just had a little one. So uh, who's back in the UK? We're trying to get them out here for the remainder of the season, but it's proving difficult at the minute. But just uh, just because of that, I think I'm gonna have, I'm gonna come back to the UK and and you know see what happens next. I think uh, I'd love to continue playing for one more year, possibly if uh, if not two. Um, and then, uh, and then, sort of try my hand at the the coaching side of things, and um, and maybe management one day. And that was going to be my next question: What are you planning on doing when you're over? <laughs> so, um, management is that the end goal? Is it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm I'm just finalising the last couple of sessions of my A license over here. Um, so I'm doing that. Um, hopefully, pass that, and then. You know, like I say, continue playing for a couple of years. But ultimately, I think the one thing that I've seen, you know, throughout my time is the transition from players to coaches um, and and the standard of coaching in the UK for the under-23s level, producing them for the first team or even necessarily the the ones who aren't playing in the first team, the, the sort of, the lads who are in the stands who but are still first team players, you know, they they need the help as much as anybody. So I, I wouldn't mind sort of trying to fill a gap somewhere in in first team management where they look after the the lads who aren't playing and they don't just beast them on a on a day where they're not playing or something like that. I wanna, you know, you want to try and help them become better so that if they don't make it into your first team, they make it in somebody else's first team. Nice one. Well, here on the second tier, when we do these kind of episodes, we like to finish off with five rather general questions. Um, first one, which club did you enjoy playing for the most? Um, it's tough, that, because obviously I had some really good times at West Brom, obviously getting promoted, playing in the Premier League, scoring my goal in the Premier League, but I spent my most amount of years at South End. So mm. I scored all my goals at Swindon. So it's very, very difficult. I'd have to say I, I really enjoyed my time at West Brom. I did. I really, really did. Um, I think being around that sort of group of players, them giving me the opportunity to um, to play Championship Premier League football, I think is something that uh, that I can't I can't ever take back. And uh, and and I loved it. I loved it. I really did. Nice one. Best player you played with? Robbie Keane. Robbie okay. Keane, yeah, just um, just purely and simply, he was a level above every everything I'd ever played with. I think he um, was always two or three steps ahead of everything, um, just setting up chances for himself, for setting up chances for anybody else, and just seeing the play develop was uh, it was it was genius, mate. Really, really good. I was trying to figure out which club that was for then, but then I realised <laughs> it's for Ireland. Yeah. Was he kind of like a role model for you? Because I suppose you kind of similar players on you. Yeah, that, that was it. And and that was why he sort of, I, I was disappointed my Ireland career sort of finished when it did um, because I would have loved to have been able to to play with him and learn from him and uh, for a few more years. But for some reason, one way or another, it ended um, after the sort of Euro 2012-2013 season. So, which was a shame because I would like to say I would have liked to learn a lot more from him. Mm. Best player you've played against? Uh, I can't. I, I can never pick one. See, see, when you've played in the Premier League and you've been lucky enough to play at international level, you come up against so many. Mm. Um, I mean, I, like international level, Portugal, Spain, Italy, 
England. Do you know what I mean? I've played against the best, the best Spain team that won everything. I can't, I can't pick one. It really, really, really is impossible. Fair play. Best manager you've worked with? Oh, um, see, I, I'm going to say Brendan Rodgers because I worked with him at, at Reading and the youth team. Um, and, he, and he truly was special back then. Um, he's obviously gone on to do amazing things, but attention to detail on everything, even when I was like 16, 17, was, was ridiculous. Yeah, everyone says that, who we've spoken to about Brendan Rodgers. Everyone says he is absolutely top class. Final one, worst manager you've worked with? <laughs> Sol Campbell. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, without a shadow of a doubt, man. Just purely because of what you were saying before? Yeah, just just things like... I mean, yeah, because I the thing is, right, I, I expected Premier League legend... Um, you know, been at top, top clubs, Arsenal, Spurs, Newcastle, Portsmouth, expecting pure knowledge, just mm. knowledge of the game, just absolute, like, just tricks of the trade. You know, mate, it took it, it, it honestly, it, it's going to sound really harsh and, and I hope I don't get any abuse for it, but it really doesn't surprise me that he's not getting another job. At least you're honest. <laughs> That's all we uh, ask for. Honesty, as honest as the day's long. Like, honestly, like, yeah. Yeah, that's it, it rough, mate. Yeah. <laughs> say, say no more. We completely yeah. understand, Simon. Simon, thank you for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Pleasure, mate. No problem. Anytime. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. We'll be back again soon. Mm-hmm.